Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello, I'm Michael Chakraverty. And I'm Mark Watson. And welcome back to Menkind, where we chat to a range of brilliant guests about masculinity. Some of them are men, some of them aren't men, and some of them aren't particularly bothered either way. We're interested in men. Yes, obviously you are. And what makes them tick? Where does masculinity come from? How does it affect us? And how could we be better? We might not get a final answer, but we'll have a bloody good go at it. Won't we, Michael? Oh, we'll do our best. Well, sometimes we say good morning, um, but we're well aware it could be any sort of time of day. So good wherever and whatever you are. And welcome to yet another Mankind with me, Mark Watson. And wouldn't you know it, old Michael Chakraverty. Hello, Michael. Some would say young Michael Chakraverty. Um, but hello, everybody. Should we say good day? Should that be our new... Because it's always going to be a day, good day. isn't it? Good day to you all. <laughs> <laughs> good day, one and all, dear readers. Um, Today we have the wonderful uh, Will Hodgson uh, joining us. It was quite a, a, a wide-ranging chat, really, wasn't it? So I keep thinking of phrases like "lend us your ears" and other slightly archaic greetings. Um, <laughs> hear ye, hear ye, <laughs> hear ye! Presenting a pod of cast once more. Yes, wide-ranging is right because Will is a person with an enormous number of interests and occupations. I would say uh, a comedian is barely covers the. Uh, the start of it, on a personal note, it's one of the very first times we've had a genuine West Country accent uh, on the podcast as well, which um, is my part of the country. And I think we've really spanned some accents, but I don't think we've had anyone. Um, it will have been the closest to my birthplace, I think, of any guests. It's a small milestone for me. I'm excited to hear what our international listeners make of the uh, West Country burr. Oh, it's very, it's very soothing. It feels like you're kind of listening to a hug. Um, so we'll stop talking and let you be hugged by Will's lovely voice right now. Yes, please enjoy this oral hug. Oral hug sounds a bit rude. <laughs> yes, of course it does. <laughs> well, I'm Mark Watson. No getting away from that. Michael Chakraverty is his usual self. I am, yes. And... Um, I don't know. He looks the same. Maybe we'll find out how he's feeling. <laughs> but our guest, as always, is someone new to us. It is well, a person who's been a colleague of mine for a long time, but we've not seen each other for years. It's Will Hodgson. Hi, Will. Hello, Mark's Good to see you again, mate. It's nice to see you again. Yeah, now you've had a sort of uh, unusual career or combination of careers, really. Um, how do you tend to introduce yourself? My name's Will Hodgson. I'm from Chippenham, and I've been a stand-up comedian for... 20-something years now, but I've also, for the last six, been a barber here in Chippenham. I co-run a salon, Hepcats, with my wife, Sarah. I'm non-binary, kind of came out as non-binary about a year ago, 
and I also draw um, pornographic comic books that I hand make and sell myself. I was worried you were going to leave that bit out because that's a fairly a fairly major feature <laughs> of what I obviously follow you on Twitter, and um, there's lots to talk about. <laughs> there's a lot to unpack. <laughs> I've got me fingers in many pies. It's the old, old story. Comedian turned barber turned pornographic comic artist. Um, <laughs> the traditional path. Can I ask about the content? What do these pornographic comics have in them, apart from porn? I think we do have to start with that. I- I've seen some of this stuff and it is beautiful, but yeah, tell us a bit about it, where it comes from. What flavour of porn? Um, it's quite a weird story. So the original idea of this that I had with a friend a mind who what has done sex work that kind of thing and we thought years ago about doing a project together that was going to be like a sort of nice porn company because i don't know what it's like now but back then the whole industry was full of like kind of creepy blokes exploiters not very nice people a lot of like, not mm. very nice content i suspect those people are still in the porn industry to be absolutely fair i doubt it's changed that much i'm sure they're bound to be the idea was nice pornography for nice people and then nothing ever came of it. And then I started drawing in the lockdown. I get this kind of thing. If I'm not concentrating on something, I get like um, dizziness issues that I've had since I had this real bad bastard of a virus around about like Christmas 2019. Mm. Could have been COVID, but I get like, if I'm not concentrating on stuff, I feel like I've just got off a waltzer or something like that because it's kind of done some sort of damage to me vestibular nerves. So I'm fine when I'm not doing stuff. It doesn't notice at all. If I'm fine cutting hair watching telly and so during the lockdown I was drawing to kind of focus myself on something and I started drawing women like sort of punk skinhead women mostly subculture I started drawing nudes here's the sort of nearest one to me that was from like the chub rub club which is a for um polyamorous polysexual skinheads right they basically listen to music and do a lot of sex with each other and that's what the comics are. And then there's various other characters as well. So it's kind of like, if you imagine where like the Beano would meet Bunty, would meet something like Sniffing Glue, and then would meet hardcore pornography. I read the Beano from ages about, I suppose, 6 to 15, but at no point did it meet Bunty, and it certainly didn't meet Glue, and I never got anywhere near hardcore porn. So I've been waiting a long time for this sort of hybrid <laughs> art form to emerge, Well, I should have clarified that Sniffing Glue was a fanzine that was done by... Uh, Danny Baker in the 70s that was like a paste kind of like so why it's like sniffing glue is that it's all kind of like bits are like cut out it's like properly DIY is your thing it's, it's properly yeah I'd literally sit at my kitchen table and I'd like glue it together and... I'm glad by the way Will that you did clarify that because I literally did think that you mean that the genre was sort of two comics meets actual substance abuse and meets porn and that was just the sort of hallucinogenic state you were hoping to provoke in your readers but no what you mean is you're doing it with scissors and glue <laughs> yeah no, i've never managed to get any sort of the class was the closest to drug references there's a character that was called vapo rub vicky that was based basically on sort of like 40 something like mums that used to be like hardcore ravers body positive magazine as well although it's sort of cartoon i try to get sort of realistic dimensions to... I was going to ask you about this, actually, Will, the body positivity. I, I've looked at these pictures of yours quite a bit on Twitter. A healthy amount, I think. A well-adjusted <laughs> amount. And, yeah, the general style is the women are sort of um, very sexualized, but in a very real way, I think, sort of big, curvy, in-your-face, sexual in all, in all the right ways. What's your relationship with it as a... I think I'm right in saying you're married to a woman, you're, uh, in inverted commas, straight, but non-binary. What's, yeah. What are you trying to do by presenting these very specific, very real, very sexual type of women in the way you do? 
It's basically trying to bring some realism. And I used to read like porn when I was a teenager, like everyone else. I never used to really like your kind of things like Playboy and Mayfair, where everything was kind of sort of stylized and glossed over. Mm. And it bore kind of no relation to women that I was actually sort of engaging in sex with and that kind of thing. And those the women in those magazines never used to have things like sort of stretch marks, scars, yeah. you like that kind of thing, the things that women's and people's bodies are like in reality. Yeah, it's really interesting as well, I think, because you're mentioning about women's bodies not being represented correctly in media, and you're absolutely right. And I love that that's where the kind of instinct came from. But it's very similar with men as well, and mm. men's bodies and men's appendages in in porn. Is that dicks, Michael? <laughs> it's not realistic in terms of the, the real world in which we live. Present company excluded, Mark. We all know about your appendage. But uh... <laughs> I think we've heard enough about it on this podcast, quite honestly, yeah. <laughs> I did do a male one this is ball bag which is one of the body subsidiary comics where i thought i'd do a male body positive one the sort of male person who's got like a, one of these like large solid mm. beer guts like got myself which again sort of seldom seen really in like sort of mainstream porn that i've seen yeah i sort of hate porn but i also i like erotic but i just hate the way it's executed yeah you like what it could be yeah i like what it could be i think that because like couples and that are doing and individual people are making their own porn. I think that is what is the equivalent of like punk rock in porn. It's people making stuff in their bedrooms. It's couples enjoying themselves. I love that comparison. I love the idea of basically sort of indie porn uh, happening as a backlash to stadium rock, to the Kings of Leon born. There's a sense across all arts, there's this snobbery towards niceness and kindness because there's this idea that that is at the expense of having, you know, an edge yeah. or an artist, a proper artistic voice. But that's bullshit, of yeah. course. You can be a good person and make absolutely great art. You just don't have to be cruel for your work to have any value. Exactly. Yeah, I think what's it was really interesting thinking back to that kind of idea of body image and how unrealistic images of men we were talking about earlier that kind of links into our first question about your first brush with masculinity and what you saw that to be. Mm. Well, I suppose, like with a lot of people, my first kind of view of masculinity was my dad. My dad was um, very much a, like a bloke. He was a toolmaker and he was your kind of typical Chippenham Western House factory guy. He had like a big beard, wore cat sleeve Adidas t-shirts, went to the pub, played Skittles. Him and all his mates all kind of looked like John Bonham out of Led Zeppelin and they go to work in the tool room every morning they go to the pub at lunchtime and get shit faced and come back in the afternoon and operate dangerous machinery and stuff <laughs> he used to go work on his bike with a donkey jacket on and all of that kind of thing so he was he was very much kind of like you what you'd think of as like your typical sort of chippenese bloke sort of dad back then what was your relationship with your father and how did you kind of fit into his vision of the world well my parents split up when i was about 16 Right. I was very much a latchkey sort of kid in a lot of ways because both my parents worked. So I used to spend a lot of my time with my granddad, especially the summer holidays, after school, school lunch times, and all of that. So it was very much raised by him in some regards as well. But like, mm. like I said, I've got a funny kind of background because my dad was a tool maker, he was a union man, he was a labour voter, and all that kind of thing. My mum was a shopkeeper, she was a conservative. And that, so I kind of grew up with it in the 80s with kind of both of these things going on around me. I had my Scargill, like an old man, and my, I wouldn't say sort of Thatcherite mother because she's very kind and liberal person, has always been 
very accepting towards me and all that kind of thing. But she, but you knew she was uh, sort of Tory voter and at odds politically with your dad. Yeah, she was a business owner in the eighties when things were good for small businesses, and my grandfather was a detective chief inspector, so he was a oh. huge influence on my life. Obviously, had very different politics to me because he was a DCI. It's not really a hotbed of lot progressive mm. socialism <laughs> in that job. How did you fit in with your dad and your and your granddad's versions of masculinity? How did you relate to that? Well, starting off with my dad, I think there was a kind of, I used to have a vague interest in things like sports and that kind of thing and do stuff with dad. But I think there was always this kind of thing, even back then, I was never going to be like a sort of proper bloke. Even then, I kind of felt like I sort of liked some things that were like quote unquote for boys and some things that were quote unquote like for girls as well. And I never really sort of felt like one of the boys, but I never felt that I wanted to particularly be a girl either. Even back then, I kind of felt like I was in this kind of middle space of things. So I used to like things like He-Man, like the A-Team and that. I used to like Marvel Comics. I used to like things like Care Bears, My Little Ponies as well. I used to like toys. And And yeah, in your early stand-up, you talked quite a lot about my Little Ponies, Care Bears, those things, in a way which people found quite sort of confounding, I think, because it just seemed at odds with how you looked and how you seemed on stage. I always used to think, why should toys be gendered? Because I used to hate the fact that it was like He-Man for boys, She-Ra for girls, that kind of thing. I wanted to play with both, Mm. but I think the seeds were there when I was younger. So my dad was never made me feel shit because I wasn't into particularly masculine things. I did try and sort of join in with masculine things and all of that, but we were just kind of different, me and him. Similar in some ways as well, me and me dad. In what ways were you similar? We're both quite anxious people. We've both got, not short temper, but he was quite the same as me. Don't take much to make him kind of lose his shit and panic about things. Right. And I was kind of the same as that as well. That's something Michael and I can just about stretch our imaginations to. <laughs> <laughs> and like me, my dad was also incredibly sweary, which I am now as well. When I was a kid, I used to think that my dad would like be like driving, he'd like, like, kind of lose his temper with like passengers, that kind of thing, shout at people. Like now that I've lived life a bit, I realise now that he was more coming from a place of kind of anxiety mm. rather than like aggression. He was never a sort of violent man or a fighter or whatever. And Talking of fighters though, Will, I hear that you were a wrestler. <laughs> for a while well I did for a little bit I'm gonna kind of like clear this up some of the misunderstanding comes I was on a documentary that was on BBC4 where they said that I did wrestling for two years that's not the that's not the case I went to a wrestling school in Trowbridge and I trained and I participated in some battle royals and Royal Rumbles, things like that, things where there's like a lot of blokes in the ring at the same time. Yeah, one off at a time sort of thing. So I did used to be a wrestler, but I was never, it's not the sort of thing you make money out of at that level. So it's very right. much like a thing I was doing in my spare time. It's not going to keep you in my little ponies. <laughs> no, well, I was lecturing at the time as well. This is when I graduated from uni and I was doing the wrestling on Sundays. One of the reasons I stopped basically, I was afraid of getting seriously hurt. Yeah, that's a good reason to not wrestle, I reckon. Yeah, what drew you to wrestling in the first place? I always loved wrestling. I was always a huge fan of wrestling. Right. And one of the great things of wrestling is that it's such a inclusive place. It's kind of like the opposite of something like football. Like you've got trans and non-binary wrestlers now. And there's even like full-on sort of LGBT plus wrestling events that go on in Britain. So it's something that I feel kind of, um, when I go to these things, I'm surrounded by families and kids, but there's all kinds of like sort of goths and metalers and sort of emo types and all of that. It seems to be for like working class misfits, 
over here as an audience. It always has been, like in Britain. I think we love it more than America does, because in America it goes in and out of popularity. Yeah. It's always popular in Britain, and that's because it's got so much to do with things like pantomime, things that America doesn't have. It's so much in our tradition. What would you say to people who think that wrestling sort of has a, a sense of aggression about it? I think it does, but I think it's no different to watching martial arts films or watching... Right. Everyone not watches them, and I watch things like things like Rise of the Foot Soldier and that. I know it's all bollocks, but I enjoy it, that kind of thing. I don't, I don't like violence in real life. I've got a bit of a sort of hypocritical relationship with it because I find people interesting. I find men interesting. Mm. I don't necessarily identify as, like, male. I am interested in men, though, because I've spent a lot of time with men, being, like, a assigned male at birth and dealing with men. I deal with, mm. with men in my job as well as a barber. I deal with men of all kinds of walks of life and opinions on things, and I'm interested in the kind of workings of Yeah, men. I think, in a way, I mean, we're also interested in men. It's sort of what the is at the root of the podcast is why are men the way you'd hope we were considering this podcast yeah otherwise we've, <laughs> we've wasted nearly 50 days and, and I think I think one thing that comes up which you've touched on really well is that sort of all of us have a hypocritical relationship or at least a lot of us have a hypocritical relationship with violence macho behaviour that kind of swaggering and I think it's something chimed with me when you were talking about how your dad could seem an aggressive man but it came from this deep rooted anxiety it feels like there's you know, multiple generations of men who have been driven to the poses of aggression and stuff because of an inability to talk about or feel anxiety properly. And I, I do feel like a lot of the traditions of men's aggression just come from that, come from the fact that we've not been very good at monitoring, you know, and itemising the stuff that we actually do feel. It feels like a lot of those traditions of aggression are just that, really, and we're only yeah. starting to talk about it now. I find it really interesting as well, kind of combining that idea of anxiety and, and aggression with the idea that wrestling in the UK, particularly, as, as you were saying, is a space where lots of LGBTQ plus people feel like they can be. And what's that relationship with aggression, do you think? Why is there that kind of that that liberation in aggression matching with the LGBTQ people? Where does that kind of fall? I think it's because wrestling is it's still nerd culture, it's geek culture. Even. Yeah, it's on the doorway between sport and entertainment and something else. On the whole, most people I know that are of that geeky persuasion tend to be at their best, more kind of open-minded. But having said that, I know blokes who you swear blind based on your own prejudices, whatever. Do you know what I mean? Everyone prejudges someone. Yeah. So you might see blokes that I know that you might look at them and think, well, he's going to be some kind of like star reading, sort of homophobic, like misogynistic arsehole. And they're absolutely nothing of the sort. So one thing I've learned over the years, and one thing I've been particularly hammered home to me by working with men all day, every day, is you cannot prejudge anyone. I won't come in with a swastika attack on his I told him to fuck off, but in general... <laughs> you can't prejudge anyone unless they've got uh, actual Nazi insignia in their skin, and then maybe you can. Cut it, so I'd cut it far enough, I could see the swastika attack, and I just fucked him off out of that. Really? You, you aborted mid-haircut? Well, I said it, it's, it's, it's the swastika. Yeah, I said, are you a Nazi? You said, yeah, because I was going to... If he'd have gone, I used to be, and I had that done, and I've like, changed my ways, I might have rethought it, but he said, yeah, so I was like, you can fuck off there. It's dangerous to admit that halfway through a haircut, I think. You're not in a powerful position. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to ask you, we haven't spoken to many people that combine the arts with an actual hands-on job like you do. I was going to ask you what you had learned about masculinity and just man-to-man -man relationships from something like 
cutting people's hair? Because it's sort of detached and intimate at the same time, isn't it, depending on how it goes? Well, my theory is that you're stood behind them. Mm. You're not looking them in the eye. Mm. And they're looking in the mirror, but you're concentrating on what you're doing there. That front mirror is more for them than it is for you. But people will open up. And when you're a barber, you're as much of a like a rabbi and a psychiatrist and a painter <laughs> as you are a barber. That's why you get a lot of um, a lot of my clients that I talk to. I mean, it's like the confessional box. Everything stays in the box. But I have clients that I've kind of talked them through some quite difficult things. I've got clients that have got difficult ongoing things, and I encourage them to talk to me about it. And I might say, like, if you're worried about this, you talk to me, give your wife a bit of a rest from worrying about it and come home with a clear You're a sort of substitute, like, wife relief system. Yeah. Sometimes you're just listening to stuff and some people have got things good. Sometimes you get burnt out. You get clients who've had bad things happen to them and it makes you very sad. Then you get the good things. I've seen people through, like, good things in their lives. I've followed them through getting, like, married, becoming fathers. I've done haircuts on people up at the halfway house over the road for free and then i've been very pleased to see them come in with their own money having sorted themselves out it's fascinating ages ago we had a podcast guest talk about this phenomenon that men i was about to say the exact same thing yeah it was rufus hound we were talking about how uh, it happened to me i actually came out to some of my family because i wasn't looking at them we were in a car we were side by side and i think it was rufus that was talking about how that might come from an evolutionary perspective from when you were out being the hunter-gatherer, you wouldn't be looking at people, you'd be doing things side by side. And that's just bizarrely more intimate sometimes, being next to somebody sharing something than being face to face with them. Yeah, and it it just feels as if there's this idea that women sit around like in circles, in groups, and just chat freely. And men do need some sort of other physical configuration. But I've never thought of a barbershop as it, but it's a perfect example. Like, even now, picturing opening up to someone for 45 minutes if they were behind me for the whole thing i'd definitely find it easier you find yourself compelled to do it right do you, do you think that's true will people feel compelled to talk when you sat? yeah the dynamic almost makes it happen i think they do i mean so everyone talks about different kind of stuff i mean i run one chair and appointments at the minute so it's one to one so when they're in there there's no one in the room it's a sealed conversation basically although i used to have this phenomenon where i used to lie because i would feel like i wasn't interesting enough and i'd get caught in these lies about being pots and pans salesmen and things <laughs> and it stressed me out too much so now i go to a hairdresser nearby where they do a silent haircut which for me people who are so anxious is delicious 45 minutes of complete silence while your head vibrates gently as they kind of razor it oh it's lovely it's that. designated as a silent haircut it's part of the service it's called a silent haircut they'll ask you what you want then you just sit there in silence in comfortable silence oh it's lovely <laughs> I, I mean i know you quite well but i love the fact that you dread awkward silence so much that you'll tell an enormous fucking lie that you can't possibly substantiate <laughs> which leads to 12 more i've done it myself i had, used to have some stand-up about telling a taxi driver that i was a zookeeper because just not wanting to say i'm a comedian because of all the all the tiresome questions that follow that and uh yeah again and again i was behind him so it shows you if you're awkward enough you can be awkward no matter what the seating layer is well what's the biggest lie you've told someone well i told a taxi driver i was madonna's brother once <laughs> <laughs> that's better than mine i was like yeah you've got the same father and like different mums so it's like a massive sore spot our lives have gone off in different directions <laughs> i very seldom see her only lots of <laughs> if it's as big a lie as that it it's almost in their head that, that well, it, he can't be making this up because yeah. that would be psychopathic. <laughs> also, not all of it was a lie because you do very seldom see Madonna, I assume. I do very seldom. Very, very <laughs> seldom. All of us have trouble getting hold of her these days. <laughs> <laughs> 
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. How does your barbering relate to your gender identity? Because I know you mentioned you came out as a non-binary person in the last year, I think you said. Barbering, I suppose in my mind, perhaps not in everybody's mind, is quite a, a stereotypically manly thing. You're working with beards and you're doing all these masculine things. Yeah. And all the barbers I've seen seem to be quite laddish and manly, not saying all of them are. But how does that relate to your gender identity? Well, barbering culture is something that is... Sometimes my job makes me feel dysphoric. Mm, right. Depend on how I frame it in my head at the time. Some days I do get things where I think I feel dysphoric about it. Because there's just this disconnect between what you're doing and how you feel. Yeah. This barber culture is definitely a thing. It's very associated in Chippenham with kind of like football lads, right. hard man, tough guys. You wonder what your clients think sometimes. I got very paranoid when I came out that I was going to lose clients over it. And I didn't really. Funny thing is, when I used to be more kind of like visibly queer, I was identifying as like a straight cis man. I used to get a lot more shit back then. But when I used to wear makeup a lot, I didn't have a beard. And I used to wear like them big sort of mesh goth girl gloves and everything. Like, this is how you were the first time I saw you. Yeah, like, I used to look like all the time around shipping them in the pubs and working men's clubs and that, dressed like that. And it was a fucking risky thing some of the time and on the circuit as well i've yeah. had people get on stage and try to tap me i've had shit thrown at me i've been attacked i've been fucking sexually assaulted in the street i've had all kinds i was going to say like part of the reason you were sort of revolutionary stand-up when i first saw you was because you were even in seemingly liberal space like the stand-up circuit or supposedly liberal space the clash between the way you looked and the stuff you were saying basically was much too much uh, for a lot of people yeah it was a very very unsafe Booking, and I, a lot of people do gigs, and I get on stage. They ought to just stop fucking talking amongst themselves before I even open my mouth, and it'd be they were just sort of like, no, I'm not fucking having that. I mean, it was kind of like I think it was probably similar for maybe like Andrew O'Neill, who's like a close friend, yeah, yeah, who's a, a former guest as well, actually. Yeah, we spoke to them. I think we've had similar experience of that kind of yeah. thing. And there weren't many sort of subculture people doing comedy. I mean, Andrew, they're a metalhead. I've always been a punk. It's different now. It's more people that are kind of subculture people in stand-up. What I think's intriguing, Will, is 
because as I say, when I first saw you as a comic, that was who you were, sort of quite a trailblazer, both in terms of material and the way you present yourself on stage and the way you confounded people's expectations. And that's why you became seen as a sort of one of the few like feminist male comics out there and also woke, although it's a word which we've all kind of tried to distance ourselves from. But you've mentioned that when you watch your own stuff back from that period, there's loads of things that you find not at all feminist. And can you talk about that in a bit more detail? Because I think all of us are in the business of, like it's a healthy thing to be able to analyse your old work and think there's stuff I think, I wish I hadn't said that and I'd never have said that, but I'm interested that you say that because you're someone we've all tended to look up to in that regard. I used to do all the stuff about liking sort of larger women, but then I used to do the ripping into the models on the front of FHM and that. Yeah. I was doing was the same fucking thing that people were doing. Just like Jordan Peterson, he's just rightly being all over the coals about that business. Yeah. The woman on the front of Sports Illustrated thing. It's no different, really. Me going. Yeah, you were still objectifying just the other way around. I've said things about like bigging up one woman by doing down another one. It's an easy trap people fall into. Right. Yeah. And I feel really bad about some of the women that I used as examples that I thought of as kind of like sort of lads, pinups and stuff back then with me. Because when I wasn't doing stand up, I was at home and I was out in the pubs and like a angry little sort of 20 something punk. And I very much sort of saw like iconic lads as like the enemy. And it was kind of like, that's their culture. It was more kind of aimed at them, really. But I shouldn't have been prejudging someone on being slim. What's changed your perspective? I just grew up, I think. <laughs> I just got older and spent more time in the world, talked to more people, had more conversations. Like, I got that tattoo on my elbow, that I love natural tits one. That was another, like, me going, like, oh, I'm fucking... I'm striking out against sort of lads mad culture. I've got mates who've got fucking fake tits and stuff, and it's fine. It's just me being... People's own bodies, right? Yeah. You think you're helping, but when you think yeah. about it, you're not. The key thing is, is having conversations with women about it. The main thing is, this is the thing about all of this business of like saying something, you say something, and looking back, it wasn't too clever, and you probably shouldn't have said it, and you're quite embarrassed by it. Is to just admit it rather than double down on it and try and go like, no, I'll try and prove I'm right here. I was wrong. Me too. I've been on a similar journey, I think. Again, in my 20s, I was a sort of, you know, like angry yeah. principled young man. And I had a similar thing of like, we need to be more real about women's bodies. The expectations that we crush women with are yeah. wrong. I prefer this type of woman and that type of woman. And I would do the same of using counter examples, taking the piss out of or being unnecessarily personal about, yeah, women who symbolised the pin-up, the stereotype blonde. And again, yeah. as you get older, not only do you realise that a lot of those people had equal levels of misery and prejudice to deal with, but also you, once you start meeting some of them, it comes down to what you say. That phrase, you think you're helping, really does sum up an awful lot of um, attempted allyship. You think yeah. you're helping to right the balance. But as you say, if you're taking down another level of femininity, another area of the public, then you're not helping. The only way you can really help is to not shit on anyone, basically, in short. Well, yeah, the way to help is listen and amplify yeah. rather than kind of project preference and your own personal thoughts, exactly. I suppose, really. And it just takes a bit of a while to learn that. <laughs> Positivity is underrated. Positivity is kind of the antidote to this, because like, when you get like, things on Facebook and you've got like, people go, like, sort of, name a thing you hate everyone else likes. Like, oh, every day you see that. I always feel like putting just like relentless negativity to talk about what you like sometimes, because it's like, Otherwise, you just sort of feel like, oh, I do this as well, get angry and sort of ranty. And you, sort of, you look back, you think, no, you just add into the general, like the whole country is like a fucking dinner table scene from the Alf Garnet show. It's absolutely true. And I strongly agree with you. I mean, it's no surprise to regular listeners of this, but one of my most passionately held beliefs about comedy is that it is not diminished by being full of kindness and goodness and positivity. And that, if anything, the most 
valuable artists we have. I don't mean me or you necessarily, but are people who are genuinely promoting positivity and not in a woolly way, like let's all be kind on Twitter today, in a sort of all the way to the core of your being, you're trying to make things to enrich people, not to take them down. I mean, no one ever got up at it can dog, did they? Positivity and the spreading of love and joy, it may sound like a wishy-washy thing, but it's one of the purest purposes we've got for creative enterprises, I think. And we could talk about that a lot more, but we failed to ask you one of our main questions so far. (laughs) We've been carried away. The question we always ask people is about their role models. But I think actually what might be more prescient is to ask you about your role models now. Are there any people that you look up to? Perhaps they're men, perhaps they're not. And why do you look up to them? Still my granddad, who's not about anymore. I think Mm. I still look up to him a great deal. And still he's someone that I always think what he do in a situation a lot of the time, even though we were very similar, different people. So my granddad was a policeman he was a detective he got right the way up to detective chief inspector he was a very tough man very tough like tough as a fucking hippo's ass he was really (laughs) i don't mind that i never really thought about a hippo's ass to be fair actually well now you will it's got to be fairly tough isn't it we presume it must be i imagine the outer bits are but as you get further in it must get a bit softer surely otherwise it would hurt to well not many people want to go further in michael well other hippos might that's where eagles there (laughs) up at hippos ass but he was a tough man he taught me a lot he taught me to read at an adult level when i was about seven or eight years old and that was because of him he introduced me to all kinds of things that i value now reading films quality television so he combined that sort of toughness with a sensitivity to less in inverted commas masculine things he's a very sensitive man he taught me about politics we were very very different politically he was very much uh died in the wall conservative yeah i don't know what he'd have made of all of this business now of course i don't know what he'd have made of boris johnson or trump what would he make of you now though well, I often wonder what he'd have thought about the kind of non-binary and gender thing. I think probably yeah. he would have wondered what the fuck that was all about. It would have been easier not to explain to him and he'd be in his 90s now if he was about. But um, ultimately, he would have tried to understand it. He was not a, a bigot in terms of like someone that got, I hate this group, I hate that group of people. I mean, obviously, have the sort of views of a bloke who was born in the 1920s. You've talked a lot about the different contradictions that there can be in men, like tough and sensitive at the same time, the way your politics and your personal politics can clash and all of it. And it sets our traditional final question up quite well. Yeah. If you were to build a man from scratch, what three qualities would you put in? There's a lot of possibilities based on the number of things that we've talked about, I think. It feels weird, Mark, asking that question. It's normally mine. Yeah, it's normally Michael who asked it. But, but I liked it. It was nice. Well, a way of looking at it is that I do that. Getting back to the comics and going full circle, you do create a person from scratch when you're creating a character. Actually, that's true, I suppose. You literally do do this, yeah. So I've tended to make the characters quite sort of like physically strong. I think that strength comes in different ways. I think one of the qualities would be just kind of like using your powers for good would be one. Yeah, that's nice. Right, if you're strong, protect other people. Yeah, so a sort of well-placed strength, you could say. Yeah. If you're emotionally strong, hold other people up. If you're physically strong, if you can handle yourself, stop bullies picking on people that can't affect themselves. Yeah. Direct your strength to give other people strength. Think Batman. Think like a Superman. Think comic book characters mm. and good guy wrestlers as well. 
that's one of the reasons that nerds like wrestling is because you think like, oh, if I was mates with Hulk Hogan, he'd turn up and that kid who flicks me in the ear with a lactic band all day, turn up and fucking leg drop him through a table and that'd be the end. <laughs> yeah, of course. Perfectly reasonable thing to fantasise about. So your quality number one would be like strength channeled in a positive way. Yeah, strength used well. What about your other two? Tolerance. Oh, yeah. That doesn't just mean being like anti-racist, anti-homophobic, I'll go without saying. That just means cut people some slack from time to time as well. Yeah. Even people that act like dicks, they're not always dick deep down. Some people are rotten right down to their bloody core. Some people are just dicks, but it's covering a halfway decent person. <laughs> but some people got dick through them like a stick of black or rock. Yeah. As it were. That's almost too easy for you, Michael. <laughs> some people that can be horrible could be capable of incredible acts of kindness. Yeah. So tolerance is the act of sticking with those people. Chipping away at dickery. Chipping away at dickery until you get through to the tasty bit of the rock. The whole Atticus Finch thing of like walk a bit in someone's shoes. Yeah. You don't know that guy's story. So you've got strength and tolerance and your third one would be... Hmm. You can have a physical attribute as your third one if you like. I always kind of draw sort of blokes who look like me now because I started to follow more kind of like male people on Instagram now that are like models. And it's actually sort of helped me a bit because it's helped us understand what the kind of deal is with why so many women follow the accounts of other women and stuff like that. Like, it makes me feel better. So yeah. I think maybe being comfortable with your body, whatever your body's like. Mm, yeah, that's a good one. Because I think that men and a lot of sign male at birth people, I think we're behind women in some ways in terms of this because we're afraid because of like ingrained homophobia to look at like naked blokes on Instagram. Yeah, we're not meant to admire each other's bodies or consider each other beautiful, yeah. He's attractive and that. It doesn't mm. mean straight women look at women on Instagram like, and think like it's attractive and that. It kind of ties in the tolerance, but like of feeling good about yourself and also just complimenting each other and just this kind of ridiculous thing. Even people that are not homophobic, this fear of being seen as being gay themselves. Mm, if they care about their own bodies. Yeah. yeah. And I think that would be the thing, being, in, being yeah. in tune with bodies. Yeah, being in tune with bodies is a really nice answer, which is not necessarily had before not quite in that way that is um that's a good three i think yeah so we've got strength being channeled in a positive way we've got tolerance and then we've also got being comfortable and confident in the body that you have they're an amazing three thank you will saying you look nice it happens more often now you say to your mates you look nice or whatever that suits you now. yeah we're getting there we're getting there <laughs> will you look very nice where can people find you and find your art and your comics and all of it on the social media before you leave us so i am on Twitter as Mix Will Hodgson MX, yeah, MX, yeah, that's the one. And so it's, it is pronounced Mix. Do you know this is how new I am to the not a young person's game, but they kind of set the tropes. Oh, I, yeah, I didn't even know I've been pronouncing non binary wrong for half a year. Non binary, yeah, I was using the MX thing without <laughs> realizing it was pronounced Mix. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> this, this is why people like us should either be allowed on the internet or allowed to speak out loud, but not both. We're too old. <laughs> <laughs> so it's MX Will uh, or Mux Will Hodgson with one L. Yeah, on Twitter. And for the poor, there's at Bawdy, that's B A W D Y underscore comics, that's C O M I X on Instagram. And that's got the links to my Etsy shop. And you can buy the magazines, which are, as well as porn, there's loads of pro trans and like progressive attitudes in, but in a kind of nice way of 
attaching it to pornography, which is getting more and more kind of like explicit now, but I still feel like you could show it to your nan. I reckon that's a sell. Porn that your nan will like. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Thank you so much, Will. Cheers, Will. You take care, guys. Cheers. Well, I hope that was a lovely oral hug for you all. Mark, did you feel suitably cuddled in your ears? Mm, I regret saying oral hug because of your immediate response to it, but then I can't stop saying anything <laughs> because of your immediate responses, otherwise you wouldn't have a podcast. <laughs> and there's going to be many more immediate responses, Mark, as we are about to be neighbours from uh, June onwards, which will be very exciting. Yes, I think the listeners deserve to know that um, following the intro, which we recorded sitting next to each other in London, in uh, our neck of the woods, well, it's, it's, it was a successful search that you were conducting and it has become your neck of the woods or it's about to become your neck of the woods as well, which is exciting. Yes, indeed. Five minutes from each other. Just think of all those podcasts we could record. Although actually you're likely to not be in your house very much because you continue to fling your body around the country um, on tour. Your brain as well, actually. I've gone all in with it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. I mean, as, as we speak, I mean, uh, Devon, I've just been in Dorset. I do have a little bit of a gap this week i think but then uh a lengthy old sp- ah, i'll tell you what we, we should be plugging actually um in the first week of june i'm uh, all over the northeast and northwest and one of them is a place called scunthorpe and um to be perfectly fair hardly any bugger has bought a ticket for it um and that's because no well among other reasons no one lives around there r- really but if there's even a single mankind listener in any way adjacent to scunthorpe there'll sort of be bonus points for anyone that finds their way to that show. I think. Is that the Scunthorpe that's referenced in Dizzy Rascal's song when he says he's been to Southampton but he's never been to Scunthorpe? Is that that one? Uh, there is only one Scunthorpe that I know of, so yes it is. It, um, made semi-famous by Dizzy Rascal and famous for having uh, probably the language's greatest obscenity within its letters, of course. Well, perhaps we could then kill two birds with one stone and if anyone knows Dizzy Rascal, perhaps your your tour date could be the first time that he goes to Scunthorpe. What a time it would be. What, what a way it would be to end that streak. Yeah, if anyone can get us... Look, our listeners are, are um, industrious, resourceful people. If anyone can get Dizzy Rascal to Scunthorpe, the Plowright Theatre in Scunthorpe, on the 1st of June there'll be a substantial reward in it, but also you, you will pass into mankind immortality. Well, we'll give you an update on how that goes um, fairly soon. But um, in the meantime, have a lovely week and we will see you to give you yet another oral hug next time. See you there. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 